The thing is, as long as there's some sort of a way that you have for yourself to get back into the swing of things. So for me, it's weekly. Yeah. For me, it's every single week, I take about 60 minutes and I take a look at what the hell did I do last week? What did I do this week? Am I moving the needle forward? And if I acknowledge and I notice the fact, the fact that I'm not moving whatever needle I want to move forward, that's my sense of checks and balances sort of to say, okay, yeah. I need to get my, my butt back on track. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of The Empire Show. I'm Pedro Koulian, and this is an inside look. And today we are looking inside of the life of an entrepreneur who I've known since 2007. That's golly, over 12 years. And I know he's amazing in sales. He's amazing at human performance where the mind is concerned. He is one of the most optimistic dudes I've ever met. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Mike Gelfkoff. Wait, tell me your last. <laughs> It's all right. It's it's uh, it's it's Gelf got. That's Gelf got. That's right. Because for years I've been pronouncing it incorrectly, and I was never corrected. Gelf got. Mike, welcome aboard. Thanks for having me. And uh, this is the Empire Show, and on the show we really do a deep dive into someone who has been successful. We and guys and gals, if you're watching and listening to this, just know that literally every week. In fact, just four days ago, I got another DM from someone asking me, hey man, how much would it cost for me to get on your show? Because there are some big shows out there who will charge someone to get on the show to give them some airtime and give them some exposure. And we never do that. So most of the time, The Empire Show is either just me or just me and Craig. Uh, rarely we'll have a guest like you on board because you actually have value to add and not because you paid us and gave us money. We never take money. However, if you want to give me money after this, I will gladly take I'll, it. I'll take it dinner instead. Perfect. I'll take it. So, Mike, you and I met at Fitness Business Summit 2000, no, 19, no, 2007. Correct. The very first one. You got the it. The very first one in yeah. 2007. And um, I think that night of the first or second night, we sat in a conference room, you, me, and about five other people, and we ended up filming what ended up being my first information product, Close Clients. How to close nine out of 10 clients, that's uh -huh. correct. Yeah, yeah, uh -huh. yeah. And we filmed that thing till about 11 o'clock at night. And you had so much value to add. So why don't you kind of tell me how you got in the, not only in the fitness world, but into the world of selling and influence. Sure. So. What's what this, I guess to connect the dots to the story, right? So you and I had a mutual connection for, uh, for a guy that, uh, or with a guy that hired me and taught me how to sell personal training. And I think you guys did was some work. Was that Steve Dow? No, it wasn't Dan, Steve Dow. Dan, Dan Fahey. That's Dan exactly Fahey. who it was. Yep. That's right. And um, so I knew there was that, that there was that connection. And so in 2007, uh, when I uh, when I got to the uh, fitness business summit, I, I just I wanted to introduce myself, hey, we know this guy, sure. and then you and I started talking, hey, by the way, we're doing this video thing tonight, and if you come, I will help you with your sales presentation. I said, really, free coaching? Fair enough, I'm in. I mean, what right. else is there to do on a Friday night in Orange? You know, sure, <laughs> yeah, California, right? right? Yeah. Anyways, I, I'm glad I went, uh, and uh, of course, the, the tricks were invaluable, and I, I wrote you a very nice uh, note uh, after that. Uh, I started selling fitness, um, when I actually worked for Bally Total Fitness. This was 2002, I believe. Yeah. And uh, what's interesting about Bally Total Fitness is you learn what not to do. Sure. You learn give, how- Give our audience an example. Not to sell. Well, I mean, listen, I, I, so 
I think anyone that's made it anywhere, it feels like in the fitness business, somehow has ties to either Valley Total Fitness or 24 Hour Fitness, right? So the point is when you walk into my club, you're buying a membership. If I had to make you someone's cousin or boyfriend, or not boyfriend, you'd have to, you don't have to get discounts, you either need to be a spouse of some sort, right? Or a family member. A family member. The point is, it was one of those deals where you literally, you walk into the club, I closed the door to the office, it was, an, it was a glass office and, you know, you, you go after it. I mean, that's not proper, that's not, that's not humane, but boy, you get good real quickly. When I got really frustrated and that's when I really started learning is when um, I would sit down with someone and they didn't buy from me and then my general manager, his name is Eddie, you know, he's this five foot two meatball, right, walks in and in five minutes, you know, he comes out with a membership agreement. I'm like, how is this possible, right, that he's able to make an impact in, in time that I'm not? Like, yeah. what? is happening and that's when I started uh, really listening to a lot of uh, uh, books and because uh, I was sick and tired of missing people but my my fitness career or sales career if you if you will started uh, with uh, Bally Total Fitness um, I stopped working at Bally Total Fitness because I wasn't um, and I feel like I was making a difference in fact right. I felt like I was taking advantage of people sure um, well which is and, why Bally's Total Fitness yeah, is they're no not longer around they're not right? doing well. yeah they're, they're not well and there's I think there's uh, some franchise stores but the actual corporate office I mean there's ties to yeah. to the mafia I mean, it's it's not a pretty picture but I learned what not to do in fact uh, full disclosure I got fired from Bally Total Fitness doing things I shouldn't have never been doing uh, which is interesting now go speed up a little bit when um, when we had our clubs and our staff try to pull a fast one on me, and I'm thinking, gosh, if you really knew what you were doing, you should have done this, this, and this. It's not a not something to be proud of, but I, you know, you could figure out real quickly how to make paperwork do whatever you needed to do. Sure. Right. Anyway, so I got burned out. I, I hated the, the fitness business, uh, and then a buddy of mine gives, gives me a call and he says, "Hey, man, you should come and interview for this PT manager position at uh, this uh, chain of clubs called Fitworks. This is in the Cincinnati market. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm like, no man, I'm done. I want nothing to do with it. I start going back to school. Well, he was very persistent. And uh, I didn't want to get hired. I came in uh, after my workout, smelled, and anyways, they hired me anyway because uh, I could sell fitness. But long story short, that's how I met my, how I met, I, uh, met my business partner, and that's how I met Dan Fahey, yeah. which you know speeds me up to 2007. That's when you and I met and filmed the how to close nine out of ten yeah clients. my first info product closed clients would still now we're in the third version of that and it's just crushing it for the personal training industry and it did, and did well like, right yeah 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 that 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 product alone has made several million dollars just by itself i'm excited i'm looking forward to my check sometime in right right it's in the mail you didn't get it yet <laughs> maybe I, maybe i just update my address so mike you and i have one other thing in common in addition to the fitness world and dan fahey where we both kind of cut our teeth on selling um, we're both immigrants to this country. Correct. Yeah, so why don't you tell me, like I've, everyone knows who watches and listens to The Empire Show what my immigrant story is. Yeah. Um, there is something to be gained from this immigrant edge, and I'd love to hear your story if you could share it with our audience. Yeah, it's a great story. In many ways, I was ashamed of being an immigrant when I came to the States. I was too. Um, because I was different. I mean, I wore Ninja Turtle shoes because that's all my parents could afford. Mm -hmm. I bought them, uh, my grandparents actually got them for me at Walgreens for $4.99, right? Um, and uh, the sole in the shoe is, uh, I still remember this like it was yesterday, it hurt to wear because it was, like, it was rubber. They're, like there was nothing that was preventing your foot to hit the rubber, right? And, uh, and, and they hurt, anyways. Um, how, so, how old were you when you came to the United States? I was 11. 11. 11, that's yeah. right. Um, yeah, it's interesting. So I, I, I was born in uh, Uzbekistan, um, uh, the 
the capital of Uzbekistan called, is, is called Tashkent, which is where I'm from. Um, it's a dark place, very, very dark place. Um, very dark place. I, um, I mean, I remember when I was uh, seven, eight years old, I uh, would walk into my grade school and there was a life-size, larger-than-life poster of Lenin and Stalin from, you know, ceiling uh, to, uh, to uh -huh. floor. Um, and the, and the doors were just these old, massive doors where you open up and it, literally it's right in front of you, right? Yeah. And Uzbekistan, just like Armenia at the time, was occupied by the Soviet Union. Correct. Until Hence Lenin and... Right. Stalin. Right? That's right. Until 91, until the, re, the rebuilding of the perestroika, until that whole, which, you know, who we know that it takes years and years and years to actually fully um, reconstruct the, 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 the socioeconomics of a country and, and, the, and the whole um, politics of the country. Just because you go from once the, re, the rebuilding happened, that doesn't mean overnight all of a sudden it's a you know, democratic. No, in fact, nothing for us changed. At all, right? <laughs> the mobs same, still controlled yep. everything, right? But I remember what, this is an interesting story. I remember when I was uh, uh, when I was six years old. Um, so we, we lived in a small communist town, and the way that it worked is your food was rationed, right? Um, they knew a, there was a certain amount of people that lived in that town, and your sugar and your flour and your rice, just your basic, it was rationed to you as a family based on how many people mm -hmm. live in your family. So I remember standing in line every month, you would get a certain amount, or the, the local store, the government-ran store, would get a certain amount of food, and then you would stand in line to get the food. So I'm standing in line, I'm six years old, it is hot as hot could be. So we should really say Russia light. Right, because it's not like when people think of Russia, they think of maybe like Moscow. Right, right. It's right. Really, yeah. it was it was really southwest. It was actually the environment was quite warm. Um, we would have maybe one or two snow days. That's it. But it wasn't it wasn't really all that uh, all that cold. Um, so I'm standing in line for sugar, and it is hot for two and a half hours. A six year old stands in line for sugar. Never got it. It's bawling. There's no sugar now. You go with, without sugar for a whole month, right? And then you know, as I got older, I'm thinking, how's that possible? Like, how do you run out of it? Like, the government gives you a certain amount. Well, what happens is this. The guy that manages the store, he'll tell you that he ran out of it. When in reality, what he's doing, he's taking that food and uh, he's taking it to the black market so he can sell mm -hmm. it so he can feed his own family. Right? Which is exactly how my <coughs> father took enough material from the tailor, tailoring shop that he worked at or the mm, men's suit fabrication. Story. Sure made enough suits to sell in the black market, raised enough rubles to then bribe an official in the Soviet party to allow us to escape. So that. that sugar that you never got, somebody yeah. sold in the black market to either feed their family better or to escape that environment. Sure. Yeah. And that, no, that happened regularly. And I mean, and that's common. Nobody really... Yeah, it, it was a known well. thing, but you're not yeah. going to do anything about it because no. that's, that's how it is. Yeah, I mean, so we, um, we grew up like... You know, you know, I think of poor, but like less than poor, yeah. like if there was such a thing, right? I mean, we would have, you know, sugar here and there if I actually got it. My mom had three jobs. I hardly ever uh, saw her. She was a conductor throughout the day. She would uh, do uh, nails and hair after she got off work from there. And then and overnight, she would bake um, cookies and pastries for a local restaurant. She would sleep in the kitchen. She would close the door to the kitchen. Because if she didn't close the door, my brother and I, because we were hungry, would steal the cookies. And it was worth, it was worth Getting taking, the, yeah, that's right. Uh, because the worst thing that could happen is I would get hurt and my mom would be the one that would, you know, beat me silly. Yeah, so you got a beating from your mom, but at least you have a full stomach you for a full once. belly, that's yeah. right.
That's right. There's yeah, it's probably hard for people watching and listening to this to understand this. And I'll give another example of this where, uh, and again, we talk about it so fondly now because we live in this amazing country in the United States and we, we serve the people. And of course, by way of serving others, you create wealth for yourself. Right. But um, so I was six years old when we escaped. When I was five, it was wintertime. I went and got in line for bread and butter with my mom. Yep. Very similar situation. Very, yep, of course, yep. uh, in, in Armenia, very cold in the wintertime. And so everyone, you remember the big giant fur coats. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Men and women would wear all the way to the, sure. to the. So imagine these big buxom women wearing fur coats and you're in line and you're smashed between your mom who's got a fur coat and then the person behind you who's got a fur coat and the lines, as you remember, were really tight. Mm -hmm. You don't want anyone to squeeze in. Oh, that's right. And so you get just squished by fur for hours at a time only to get to the end of the line and to be told, sorry, we're all right. out. Your ration's not there. And so you do have to buy things on the black market, which means that you have to steal something from somewhere to be able to generate that money. Correct. That's exactly Could it. Can you imagine if that's how life was here? Oh, man. Well, I mean, I think in it's, and... like when, when, we, when we would run and manage uh, our business, right, I, I, there's a few things that I had a hard time. And it's not a, the right way to deal with it. And, you know, whatever we all have our shortcomings, mine was dealing with uh, entitlement. I, 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 so my business partner would frequently... You know, I, I, I got this because uh, I would sometimes fly off the handle um, because, you know, you don't come up to me and you say, hey, you know, Bedros, I think I think I'd like to, I'd like to have a raise. <laughs> it's like, you know, you earn it. You know, nobody's just going to give it to you. Right. And, and it's um, and, and I think our, our, our uh, a lot of people have a hard time understanding. That, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, well, your whole life you went earning things. There was no one for you to ask for sure. And if you did ask, you'd either get backhanded or worse. Right. And so to think that someone would ask that of right. you, yeah, I could see and, how you and, well, and, and your parents, right, they do the best with what they got. My mom divorced my father when I was two and a half. I haven't seen him, you know, uh, since, and since. And so mom, my mom did the best with what she had, yeah. raising my brother and I in a very turbulent uh, times uh, in, uh, in, in Uzbekistan. Uh, maybe we'd, we would steal food and most of the time you don't even get away with it most of the time i would get my butt handed to me with people you know your size uh because um and all i wanted to do was was to eat food there's a guy by the name of i don't know if you've heard of this guy but his name is norm borlog um so i don't know I, I was reading something and uh it was an article written that bill gates looks up to this guy i'm like oh my gosh like bill gates is fond of someone who is this guy never heard of this guy before so have you heard of him I have not. No? No. So he's like one of those guys that won the Congressional Medal of Honor, right? The, uh, uh, he's the same caliber as Mother Teresa, right? And uh, um, Mohatma Gandhi, right? And so, look, I never heard of this guy. Who's this guy? Hmm. Right? So I started reading about him. And uh, essentially, he is credited for, um, um, for uh, crossbreeding crops to get rid of a bacteria called uh, uh, the uh, rust, I believe, that was uh, essentially killing crops in the 19. 30s, right? And so he went to school in Minnesota and he uh, looked at uh, all these hungry people and says, someone's got someone's to end this, right? And so anyway, so he that, uh, set him on this, on this journey. Long story short, he, he, um, he talks about something interesting in his book and he says this. He says, if you don't know what hunger feels like, right, then uh, how does he, if you don't know what hunger feels like, then you have no idea what it's like to be hungry. If you don't know what hunger feels like, right? then you don't know what hung. When I read that, I had to put the book down. I'm like, mm. man, 
that ain't that spot on, right? Because uh, he's talking about how in the 1960s, 1970s, he partnered up with Monsanto, right, to, to help them come up with these super crops. And, you know, never, not everyone's a big fan of Monsanto and what they've done. I get it. But, 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 you know, he talks about these people would rather die on a full belly and maybe live a short life because there's something in the crop. Mm. But at least, right, they had a full belly. I'm like, man, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy for someone like you and I to understand I that get it. because of where we come from. Yeah. So... Clearly, you've dealt with a lot of adversity in your time. Clearly, you've had to show a lot of resiliency and even resourcefulness to be able to steal food, know that you might get an ass whooping for that food you're about to steal. But to you and I, it was worth it because right. the alternative is to have hunger pain. And truly, folks, if you've never experienced hunger, now I'm not talking the kind of hunger where you know it's 12 o'clock is lunchtime, but it's like 1.30 and you're still working and you're just hungry and a little lightheaded, like, oh, my blood sugar's low. I'm talking about hungry where your stomach is eating your intestines. Right. And you are just angry. Like the word hangry came from the <laughs> communist bloc countries, like where we came from. And I share that with you because perspective is everything. When you had, uh, by the way, let me explain to you, the kind of hunger where you can't just go to a restaurant, a drive-through, a Starbucks, order your fridge and find the solution. The kind of hunger where, fuck, I'm weak, I'm tired, it hurts. Yep. Now I got to go find or steal food. You know, and there's, there's a, like Tony Robbins talks about this, the difference between being resourceful and having uh, resources, right? And so, like, people have all the resources in the world for them to earn whatever the kind of dollars that they want to earn, right, or lose weight or gain money. Whatever you want to do, there are resources. The question is, will you be resourceful enough, right, right to, to, to get it done? And I, and I think you've, 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 you've talked about this quite a bit. So when you, yeah, like when you're truly physically hungry, boy, you get resourceful, oh, yeah. right, real quick. John Berardi says something interesting about hunger. Hunger is not an emergency. I love that. It's not. Hunger is not, it's not an emergency until you get to a point where you get super resourceful. I know what it's like. You know what it's like. Yeah. So I, I think when you, when you take that mentality in general, and um, the mentality is there's always a way. Like there's no such thing as something that you cannot do something. No, no, there's always a way. You will find a way mm -hmm. simply because uh, you were that lesson in adversity of hunger translates into every part of your life, including relationships, to not take advantage of your relationships, to not take right. them for granted because you need to be fed through love and relationships, which obviously you're married, you have kids, right? I have one, yep. Yeah, and um, translates into business. And you and John started one hell of a business together. You guys, at, at, at one point, before you started to sell them off, had how many Anytime Fitness locations? We're 21 up until last year. We actually and we sold all 21 in one package uh, to, uh, to a guy, yeah. Yeah, 21 until last year. So someone might ask, well, wait a minute, I can't. And this isn't about, obviously, you guys know that I'm the founder and CEO of Fit Body Bootcamp. So why am I sitting here talking about Anytime Fitness? Because the bottom line is, no matter what the business model is, there's always a solution at the end of building scaling and selling right and so that's what you did and let's kind of dive into that just for a moment sure. so what made you decide when anytime fitness was really hot and on fire sure. that hey this is the brand that i want to go with what yeah, did you so, look for as indicators yeah that's a good question so i was 21 yeah um i was looking for a job let's just start there sure <laughs> my business partner whom i met working for um a company back then called body of change which yep. was uh uh, contracted by Fitworks to help them get their PT off the ground. Essentially, mm -hmm. John was their general manager. I was the PT guy. Uh, we met a year later. Uh, it was that's something that he wanted to do. And a year later, we opened up our club. But you know, he came up to me and he said, "Hey, man, you want to do this?" I'm like, "Yeah, that sounds really good, Pedro. Sure." 
I, thought, I mean, I didn't, I didn't know what I wanted to do, right? Um, I needed a job, and I liked my buddy, and it was always his dream. I'm like, sure, sounds good, let's do it. Well, now let me, let me stop you there, because John obviously had a lot of options of people he can go to. Correct. Why does he choose to yeah. go to you? Why don't you explain that? What yeah, and that's a, well, he tells a really good story, actually, and he says, you know what, because he works um, a lot, right? He'll, he'll go get in at you know eight o'clock in the morning he'll stay till eight o'clock at night you know monday through friday right mm -hmm. and so but every time he was there i was already there um and i stayed after eight o'clock right i would frequently get to the gym between you know five and six and i would stay until eight or nine sometimes ten o'clock most days of the week and i would work till about six on saturdays and half a day sunday so right? so you're such a modest guy before you breeze over that guys let's stop again you all of you probably follow the rock and he always talks about being the hardest worker in the room and here's a big reason why, because if you're the hardest worker in the room, you get recognized by someone who's willing to give an opportunity. Correct. And if you ever wonder like why someone, coworker, a friend, someone else got the opportunity that belonged to you, know that they were probably the hardest worker in the room while you thought you were the hardest worker in the room. And so you showed up before, before John, you left after John, when John had an opportunity to give out, which was, hey man, do you wanna partner up in this new brand that's emerging? He came to you because he saw a workhorse and someone that can help him move the needle just like he could. That's right. That's right. And because he knew he had the membership part of it figured out, and he, he's you know he's done really well there. And uh, he didn't really uh, he understood how the PT business is supposed to work. Uh, well, let me take it back. He understood well, he understood how the PT business is supposed to work, um, but he didn't know how to go about selling it. Right. Yeah. And so, but you know, for a year for a year or so, that's all I've been doing. I've been been selling PT, and plus, you know, we were. Was working just as many hours, if not more, that he was that he was in. Hey, man, you wanna you wanna do this thing together? He's such a kind guy. He says this. Hey, Mike. So if we do this thing together, he says to me, um, I will give you fifty percent of a business that doesn't exist. What's fifty percent of zero, right? right? And he says, but if you stick with me for twelve months, right, I will give you five percent ownership of this anytime fitness, um, and you don't have to put any actual money, right? It's totally through pure sweat, sweat equity. equity. Correct. Yeah. Right? Sweat equity. Um, you know, and to, you know, if he speeded up, we're practicing. He's always owned more than I did as he should because uh, he leveraged his his whole life and his savings. But, but he yet, gave me an yet another lesson. How often yeah. do we see where two people partner up together and one person put in more risk, put in more money, and the other person's job was to put in effort and sweat. Right. But at some point, we see the person who put in effort and sweat go, you know what, I think uh, here we are eight years in, I deserve more. It's like, let's not forget who put in the Correct. financial, who yeah. tapped out their 401k, sold their house, exactly did it. whatever they had to do to buy into that. And look, look at the level of gratitude you show up with. You said, and understandably so, John owned more. Correct, as, as you yeah. should. And, and you know, I and this is why you had a healthy and strong partnership till this day. For sure, for sure. And I, and I think I think that's actually critical. Like if you're gonna have a if you're gonna have a strong partnership, you have to know your role. Yeah. Right. There can't be two uh, two cocks, sort of say. Right. There has to be a you know there has to be a leader. And yeah. there has to I be usually both, say right? chef, but cocks work. Yeah. You, you yeah. know what I'm talking about, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I usually say two chefs in the kitchen, but in Uzbekistan we say there can't be two cocks in the kitchen. Um, goats. However you want to put it. Goats. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I like two. cocks in the kitchen yeah um, so but that's 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 critical right uh, although we we have uh, a lot of similarities we have a lot of uh, differences and he he plays a certain role I play a certain role you know and and, and he can question me I question him but at the end of the day we need to make a decision and you know both my other business partner we, we say we let John uh, make the call and I think that's uh, that's critical I was actually so like last month how grateful I was that he actually took an opportunity 
right, to uh, on me, right, and yeah. total risk. Then none of this was gonna, you know, uh, pan sure. out. And this was, it was a good moment. Both got emotional. That's great. awesome. Man. Yeah, that's great. So, so obviously there, 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 you guys built twenty-one anytime fitnesses, and just last year you guys, you know, packaged them up, put a nice bow on them, yep. and sold them to someone else. Yep. And today you help people in a very different way. I'd be curious to know how you help them and what value you add to businesses today because, you know, you guys probably got a nice chunk of change when you're selling 21 successful businesses right. at the same time. One might ask, well, listen, let me ask you this. Why didn't you just consider retiring? Um, like, what does that even mean? What does that mean? You know, what's funny is that, so when we, when we did sell, so for 15 years, like I'm doing the same thing. It's a very rigid pattern. It's a very rigid routine. I get up a certain time. I go to bed at a certain time. There's things that I did. 15 years, right? Man, I know people who won't do that for 15 minutes today. They go for 15 minutes. I try to grow my Instagram account so I can get leads, and it didn't work. I quit. I quit. That's you right. did it for 15 years. Yeah. You know, I mean, you you have to. I mean, you, you get it, right? Yeah. I, I totally understand what you're saying. Uh, and you know, but whoever whoever says it's kind of like uh, being a routine to me is the same thing as working out. It's the same thing as as, as time management. Like sometimes you're just better in time management than other times. Sometimes you're just better in sticking with it. Sometimes you're just better in, in staying disciplined. And sometimes you're not, and that's okay. The thing is, as long as there's some sort of a way that you have for yourself to get back into the swing of things. So for me, it's weekly. Yeah. For me, it's every single week, I take about 60 minutes and I take a look at what the hell did I do last week? What did I do this week? Am I moving the needle forward? And if I acknowledge and I notice the fact, the fact that I'm not moving whatever needle I want to move forward, that's my sense of checks and balances sort of to say, okay, yeah. I need to get my, my butt back on track. Sure. Right? When do you do that? On the weekend or do you do the, the, the coming Monday? Sunday morning. Sunday morning. Sunday morning. Yep. Yeah, before, uh, I mean, I, I get up pretty early, uh, you know, around 4, 4.30 probably before anyone else gets up. Do you believe successful people need to get up early? Um, I believe successful people need to have a, need to have a set of disciplines. Uh, um, like a specific, specific methodical like in a consistent way of doing things. What time you do it, I, I don't necessarily think that that matters. Like my business partner, John, for example, he's not a morning guy, right? Um, I am, I, like I'd rather get to bed at 7.30, 8 o'clock and be up at 3, 3.30 in the morning. Yeah. Um, I feel like I get more things done, but, but that's not him. Like sure. he, uh, but I think what's, what's more important is to have a set of disciplines that you adhere to no matter what. Uh, happens throughout the day. I think non negotiables. Correct. Non like there is no such thing as, well, I may or may not do this. No, no, no. There are certain, like uh, Jim uh, Collins talks about this in his book, uh, Good, uh, great. Uh, well, great, great by choice. Okay. Um, he talks about it, the smack recipe, specific, methodical, and a consistent recipe. Uh, or a set of disciplines that you adhere to. No matter he just he applies it also to these, these different companies like Progressive Insurance and Southwest Airlines. Like what makes those companies so so successful that no matter what happens throughout the day, they have these set of rules, set of disciplines that they adhere to no matter what. So we 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 had a very specific smash, uh, smack recipe for our business, you know. And then uh, ever since I read that book, I'm like, man, I should really, mm. I should really have. A, and I didn't realize I already did, but the, the, the book really gave it more context, right? sure. it gave it more teeth. Yeah. Sure. So uh, obviously you, you chose not to retire because you said, hey, well, what does retirement mean? Anyway, I wanna, I wanna, yeah. I'm guessing the reason you chose not to re retire is what all successful people already know. It is the fastest way to die. Yeah, that's a good point. That's exactly it, right? When you're when you're on every when there's no purpose yeah. per se for sure, you die. Uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Victor Frankel, right? Talks yeah. about it is in, in man's uh, uh, man's search for meaning. Um, yeah, for 15 years, I've been doing the same thing over and over, over again. And when we sold our business, I'm like, what, what, do I, what, what do I do now? So I found something to do. What is right? it that you do now? 
Um, so, you know, I didn't realize um, that when we sold our clubs, I mean, we, we have a pretty uh, decorated uh, resume, at least within the Anytime world. So I didn't realize uh, just the amount of uh, calls that I would get, um, which very blessed, very grateful for that. Um, so I'm doing, uh, doing quite a bit of helping uh, local franchisees. Uh, like so, Anytime Fitness, right? They're, they're they're transitioning their business from convenience to convenience plus coaching, and you know, they're uh, some are doing a really good job. Some franchises are not doing such a good job. They just need they just need some help, right? Yeah. And so, you're the facilitator of that. Correct. Yeah. So I, I we um, help them transition essentially from convenience to convenience uh, plus That's coaching, true. much like we did with you know with our 21 club. Yeah. So let me let, let me let me let me ask you this: What is it about certain people? And it doesn't matter if they're a franchise or non-franchise. It could be that they ran business a certain way, then two, three airplanes hit uh, the World Trade Center towers and you know uh, the Pentagon, and all of a sudden the economy has changed, yet they refuse to pivot and change. So what mm-hmm. have you noticed when you see these, these business owners, some are willing to pivot and change mm-hmm. to the new model, mm-hmm. and some are resistant. And you said, you know, you use some kind words, oh, and some are having some resistance, and some <laughs> they're having a hard time. What is it about the two sets of people? Yeah, I would say probably. Um, uh, like, probably, let's remove all filters and be. Yeah, yeah, I would probably say two things. One, I, I think it's the natural human fear, which is fear of failure, right? Um, if I change, I might fail. Correct. And I think the other part of it is that they're not leveraged enough, <laughs> as sad as that may sound. So, you know, we had 21 locations. Uh, um, my name was on 17 leases. You know, do that math times 12 months, times five years. Yeah. Right? Like, there is just no question on is this or is this not? That, that's not even a thing. Like, that you don't, because if this wasn't going to work out, for example, I am effed for a long, long time and I wasn't going to put my family through something like that. And quite frankly, you know, I, um, John and I are in business uh, together, and I, I told him I'll forever be in debt because to him because he took uh, he took me on as his partner, and like I wasn't going to allow that to happen. Are you kidding me? Like the whole flipping sure. way. That is the ultimate leverage card for me, which is, is silly, even probably greater than my own family, knowing the fact that I have this guy that took a risk on me. There's no way in heck that his life is going to be messed right, up. Right, because you're going to let him down and right. dig your heels in and say, we don't need to make this change. Yeah. I'm afraid of this change. What if it's the wrong change? Yeah, and so, so to me, I guess those would be the two things. I guess the bigger one would be they may not be, which is crazy because when you when you think about, the, they, when I say they may not be leveraged enough would be would be the, the biggest one. Like a lot of these people have leveraged their home, right? They leveraged everything that they have, but that's not good enough yeah. because if it was, they would have done it, right? I mean, Tony Robbins Robbins talks a lot about this, right? In his book, Creating Lasting Change, he walks you through how do you you create a lasting change? Step one, get leverage. And so, gosh, if somebody isn't changing, they're not leveraged enough. Yeah, when you have a lot to risk, you're willing to adapt to change faster. Like, what do you value more, right, than yourself to get through this change, whatever this change may be? And a lot of these... Club owners, I'm sure you see the same thing with Fat Body Bootcamp. It's it's a should. It's not a must. It's uh, it's negotiating as opposed to like, no, this is the way forward and this is the way that it is. Yeah. Well. So I think one because they're not leveraged enough, right? Uh, and I think two, um, yeah, they 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 fear failure, right? And and I, I guess the third one would be, man, they don't grow, man. They don't like it's just stale up here. Like it's a, it's a they're not growth minded. No, they're, like they're fixed, fixed mindset. Minded. That's exactly yeah. a total fixed yeah. mindset, right? Ironic how we haven't seen each other for years that we keep spitting out the same words and the same phrases because success leaves clues, ladies and gentlemen. And you could see that we're breeding from the same books, from the same authors, from the same strategies, even though we haven't seen each other for right. years.
right? And that's important for people to understand that when we bring guests onto the Empire show and you hear the same thing over and over again, it's not that, you know, him and Tom Bilyeu and Ed Milet and, and all these people have colluded and said this is what we're going to talk about on the Empire show. It's because there is a formula, a recipe to success, and that recipe includes being growth-minded and being open to change and pivoting quickly when you must. So that said, when you, when you guys left uh, Uzbekistan with a lot of money and came to the United States with a ton of money. Correct. Yeah, it was, um, in fact, the whole street was plated in gold. Right. Right. So it obviously wasn't because right. anytime you're leaving a communist country or a communist or country that, well, you left when it was still. 93 is when we left. So 91 yeah. so was. So communism the, had fallen. Correct. Supposedly. Yeah, yeah supposedly. Yeah. And, and again, guys with Armenia it took well over a decade right. for the corruption to go away after communism fell. So I imagine it's the same there. You weren't allowed to leave with much. And it's not like you guys had much anyway. So right. I'm curious. Let's go full circle and talk about how do you, what was your escape into the United States? Like yes. ours was. You know, telling the, the the Soviet government that we're just going to go visit my mom's sister in Italy because, you know, Italy was communist sympathizers. Right. We left during the communist regime. Of course, we... What year was that? Uh, we left in 1980. Okay. I was six okay. years old. And so my mom didn't even have a sister in Italy. Like, my dad just... But bribed. that's what you said. That's what we said. And, of course, we go to the American consulate. We say that we're political refugees. <clears throat> my dad is part of the Communist Party and he doesn't want to be. And that we want to go to the United States and become citizens of the country and serve this country, which we do. And uh, that's how we got here. So what was your avenue? Because people need to hear a story of, yeah. of, of like how well you have it if you're born here. Right, and, and it's an interesting story because uh, you can't just say, I want to come to the United States, right? And so at, at least uh, in 1988 is when we filed the paperwork. So my grandfather, my mom's father, mm -hmm. had... Um, he, he divorced a lady, and then he married a different lady, right? Mm. And this different lady... Much younger, hotter. Co no. Correct, <laughs> always, right? And then this different lady had a, had a daughter mm -hmm. that lived in Cincinnati, Ohio. So now that my grandfather was married to this lady who had a daughter in Cincinnati, Ohio, yeah. um, they... So this daughter called on her mom, who was married to my grandfather, yeah. right, to come to U.S. Yeah, because right? they, they can sponsor you. Correct. Yeah. You can't, like, you have to have immediate blood family. You can't just say, I'd like to go to U.S., right? Um, and then once my grandfather got to Cincinnati, Ohio, and he got situated, then he called on my mother. Yeah. Um, that whole process took five years, right? There was all sorts of paperwork back and forth, back and forth uh, that, had to, that had to happen. Um, and then, but before we could even leave, my mom divorced my father when I was two and a half. So we left when I was 11. So she, no communication with the guy for, you know, eight and a half years. Can't leave the country without his approval. Oh, <laughs> interesting. Right. So we had to meet him and he had to sign off uh, for us, uh, for us to leave. What, what interesting story. So we are on our way from Uzbekistan to Moscow. Uh, and then from Moscow, you go to uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, right? We, because you, you don't, you don't have a car, like, there's no airplane. Right. You take a train. Train. That's it. That's the only way to get there, right? Yeah. Suitcases. And by the way, the suitcases have no wheels. No. You They're carry, not functional. You, you, you just you carry them. farm a walk. smells, right? Yeah. Because there's animals there and there's just people, people, a lot of people. And so we, we got on the, on the train and there was a three-day train ride from Uzbekistan through some of the other stands. One of the stands happened to be Afghanistan yeah. uh, into Moscow. So as we were as we were taking this train through Afghanistan, the train was shot at multiple times. Thankfully, the train didn't stop. Sure. Uh, but that was interesting, right? You're on the floor, you know, covering yourself um, while the train is being shot. And then when we came to the states, 
Um, oh, I'm sorry. When we came to Moscow, I, um, it's the first time I had a banana. I was 10 years old. You and I have so much in common. You know that? So you had yours here in the States. I had my first banana well, in, in, in Moscow. My, my, oh, I'm sorry. First. You had yours in Moscow? Yes. Okay. I had my first banana in Italy. So it's funny. We both remember our first banana. Yeah, I love it. I love yeah. bananas. They're, <laughs> yeah. They're what about peanut butter? Do you feel the same way about peanut butter? Um, yes. I, I like yeah. crunchy peanut butter. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's very, very good. Yeah. yeah I love it. So I had the first peanut. So I had my first yeah. banana in Italy, and I had my first taste of peanut butter in the United States. And I got to tell you, it was like, oh, there's my other half. Like now that's, now I understand what they say about kindred spirits. My kindred spirit comes <laughs> in a butter. jar of well, creamy peanut what, You know, what, what's interesting, so when I came to the States when I was 11, first I've never seen that amount of food before, yeah. right? And remember, I was always hungry. So my grandparents, where did you get a lot of this, right? So we went to the grocery store. I mean, there's just aisles. I'm like, oh my gosh, look at all this, right? So, and uh, I really think that my fitness journey personally started when I was 13 because I gained like 50 pounds. The first time I had McDonald's when I was 11, <laughs> gotcha, right? Yeah. And uh, I ate, and I think the last time I had McDonald's when I was 13, um, and I ate McDonald's like two, three, four days a week, as many as often as my grandparents sure. could take me there, yeah. right? And uh, yeah, I gained uh, 50 flipping pounds. And so, you know, then I became a teenager. I started liking girls. They didn't really like me for many different reasons. I thought it was because I couldn't keep up with them in gym class. It has nothing to do with that. Um, so, but that's when I started, uh, really started uh, changing sort of, right? Yeah. And um, like, well, this doesn't cut it anymore. But like, you know, every, we all know what we got to do. Like you take a person who's, you know, who's overweight and you take them grocery shopping and ask, hey, apple or apple pie, which one's better, right? <laughs> Like uh, f grilled or fried, like we all know inherently what we need to do, but apparently we have no idea. All of a sudden we get unresourceful. What you think? So at 13 years old, I had the basics of what to do. I always knew that home cooked meals are just better, right? Um, I asked my mom, hey, can you not put as much oil in here? And I started, you know, researching some things, started working out. And I really think my fitness journey per se started when I was, uh, 13 years old, right? Poor confidence, poor self-esteem. I like girls. They didn't like me. I'm like, well, I, something's got to change. Right. Yeah. That is a great motivator. Again, leverage, right? right. right. That's a lot of leverage. I don't want to not have sex the rest of my life because when you're a teenager, you go, I like girls. They don't like me. This may mean a lifelong term of not having sex. I better start doing something. Alone, right? I mean, I like yeah. I was so just so different. I was wearing Ninja Turtle shoes, pink socks. I would have found that attractive. You know, right. You, you, that's right. We would have gotten along if yeah, that was the yeah, case. Yeah, you know yeah. what's interesting? So I'm sure you remember this. Um, so when I was growing up, you only wore white socks when it was uh, some sort of a festivity, like a birthday of some yeah. sort, right? Or a um, something special. The rest of the time, you just wore whatever kind of socks that you could, mm -hmm. that you could but you only wore white socks when it was a special occasion. Maybe it wasn't like that in Maria, but that's the way it was like in, in uh, Uzbekistan. So, yeah. or that, that's right. So when I came to the US, everybody wears white socks all the time. Well, I never had any white socks, right? And so anyway, so whatever, Walgreens provided us with some white socks. Yeah. It, was a, it was an interesting, really, I can wear white socks. I would love to wear white socks. Huh. Um, it probably made you feel special, right? Yes. Yeah. Right. Like every day there's something special happening. That's right. White socks. That's exactly it. And I was, I was always conditioned that way. Yeah, I'm so, curious, are your socks white today? Uh, they're gray. They're close. Gray. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The semi-party. Yeah. The semi-party. This is a business podcast after all. All right. So I'm curious, what does your morning routine look like? During, yeah, so, during the week, what does your morning routine look like? Um, I, I can tell you, over last uh, over last twelve months, my morning routine is a bit a bit uh, lax as I'm as I haven't had to stay. But I can tell you, there's the, the morning routine is still very disciplined. Not as disciplined as I would like for it to be, but it's still disciplined. I get up between four and five a.m. and it's typically you know the first thing I do is I, I pray. 
right? And, I, and, I, and who is it that I'm grateful for and what am I grateful for? It's very, very important. Uh, and the second thing I do, this is, this is gonna sound real silly, but the second thing I do is I read um, six pages every day. Why six? Why not five? It takes me 10? 15 minutes. Okay, so you have time to, you're reading speed, six pages, there you go. It takes me 15 minutes. Yeah. With that pace, I can get through about you know, six to eight books, actual reading books. It was four pages. I bumped it up to five, and this year I got real ballsy. I said, you know what, I'm gonna bump it up to oh, six. six. The point that. is that if you have no time to read, it's such bullshit is what I'm saying. Right. Um, what so, are you typically reading? Like, give us the example of the last three books you read. Yeah, so I mean, the last 12 months, like I didn't realize how not, much Is it time. Harry Potter? Is it, it's <laughs> no, not Harry Potter. Not Harry Potter, no. I didn't think Actually, so. I never really got into Harry Potter. Nor no. did I, you know why? Because I got into making money and helping people. Yeah, you know what, I, I, I like making a difference and in many ways making money is one of those things, right? Because I'm able to give back. And that's actually sure. one of the things that really motivates me, whatever it is that we do next, is uh, to have the ability to give back significantly. Um, but like the last 12 months, I've changed what I'm reading. Uh, I didn't realize how much in the business I was actually thinking. I thought I was working on the business. I even had to think about operations in the last 12 months yeah. because I have a, uh, we had, one of our regional managers, we, uh, he stayed with us and so he, now he's our equal partner in the one club that we have left. So like, I, I don't talk to him about, hey, how many appointments have we set up today? Like we have higher quality conversations, sure. right? Because um, he knows what he's got to do and he's, he's doing a really, really good job. Um, so over the last 12 months, I've been doing a lot of reading on marketing a lot of reading uh, on lead generation, right? Um, and so, you know, when we had, uh, gosh, knowing what I know now, if, I, if we, uh, I would have managed our whole marketing part of our 21 clubs completely differently. Knowing what I know now, I, in, in many ways, uh, we, we, um, we didn't do as good of a job as we, as we, as we should have. But, you know, I've read, uh, 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 Dan Kennedy is the guy that I've been reading sure. when it comes to lead generation, no right. BS guide to social yeah. media marketing. Actually, right now I'm reading um, um, his book, uh, The Magnetic um, uh, Marketing. Magnetic Marketing. Yeah. Um, great stuff. I read uh, two or three books and it's like, hey, let's give it a whirl. And you know, we generate about 180,000 bucks in the last 12 months through some of the things that I've read about. I'm like, oh. What do you know? Yeah, how about- One of my favorite books of Dan Kennedy and guys and gals listening and, and watching this, um, it is the ruthless management of people and profits. Uh, I love how he speaks so openly and honestly. Ruthless management of people and profits by Dan Kennedy. Great book, and really awesome for anyone who's going into the entrepreneurial world. Because when you go into the entrepreneurial world, you go with the aspirations that, well, everyone's going to work as hard as me. Everyone's going to be as motivated and yeah. as driven and as passionate. And the reality That's is, no one is correct. And you must learn how to ruthlessly manage your people and your profits. Yeah. yeah, so it's a great, great thing there. You asked me an interesting question, like how many, um, like up until the year, uh, uh, up until last year, so I, I would get through three or four books a month on audio. On top of that, I would finish a book roughly every six to, uh, uh, to eight weeks. It's a lot of content mm -hmm. I would go through, tremendous amount of content, it's yeah. like ridiculous. For the last 12 months, I haven't necessarily read a whole lot of new books other than some Dan Kennedy. I've reread a few books that, um, I found to be very impactful for me, uh, especially now due to the nature of the work I'm doing with some of the franchisees and one of those books is Four Disciplines of Execution. Yeah. Love that book. I wish I would have read the book five, six, seven years ago. Uh, the, other the other book is uh, Creating Lasting Change by Tony Robbins. Yeah. Um, like if there was a book on selling that gets me sharp, boy, it, it, the book has nothing to do with selling by the way. Right, the book has everything to do with influencing people's behavior, which is really what you're doing at Point of Sale. Which is what selling is. That's right. 
And so, and so he doesn't necessarily discover, well, this is a great script or this is a smooth way to talk through objections. He doesn't talk about that. He just talks about, here's, here's what makes humans tick, you know, and here are the steps on how to do it. Right? Um, so those are the two books that I've reread uh, over and over again. And then No BS Guide to Social Media uh, Marketing. Uh, there's a, actually a book by uh, Alex Hermosi. I'm sure you've heard of him, mm -hmm. right? He, he got his book out. So he's got some interesting content in there. Took some of those nuggets of wisdom that he puts out and implement in our system and you know it's good magic so uh, that that said where family is concerned this is and we'll kind of end on this note because i think it's important for people to understand that you can be successful in business and still be married and have a family what is the is there balance in your yeah. life or do you call it a work-life mix do you just ignore your family and is everything just falling apart around you whoever tells you that um that work-life balance can exist, I, I think in my opinion, has never worked a day in their life. Um, like I think everything great ever happens, always happens outside of balance. Yeah, in chaos. Always, right? Yeah. Um, the problem is you can't live, right, in that, in that state of being, and for 15 years we did, which is actually one of the main reasons why we decided to say, you know what, maybe it's time to, you know, put ourselves and our families first and put everything else second. Yeah. Like we have, um, personally, I have two speeds where I go fast and I go faster and it just doesn't, always work when it comes to family. But now that we've sold our clubs, um, I still need to do a better job in spending more time with my family, right? So when you grew up in, in, in uh, Uzbekistan, so my wife had, oh, my wife, my, my wife, my mother had a different, a different effect. So my mother never had a, a darn thing in her whole life. Sure. She comes to us, I want everything. Right? Like, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this, right? Me, on the other hand, because I never had anything in my life, I had the opposite effect. I'm going to save, and I'm going to be so smart and smarter than my mom ever was about money. So I have the opposite effect. I want to save, and I want to preserve, and I don't want to spend money unless we absolutely have to. And did we think about this? Is this, is this spontaneous or not? Um, so as a result of that, my mindset needs to evolve, uh, and it hasn't quite evolved yet. I recognize it, and I'm talking about it, which I think is a, think is a positive thing. Yeah. But to go back to your original question, you know, how is Am I spending more time with my family now? I, I absolutely, 100%. We just got back from vacation. Uh, I need to do better, right? Uh, but I recognize that. Dude, how uh, cool that, you know, yeah. you could have very easily just sold us some bullshit and said, hey, look, things are great, things are fantastic. My wife thinks that I'm the king of the house and yeah. that's that. But the reality is you're like, look, there is no real work-life mix or work-life balance. It is some level of mix. You're either fast or faster, which right. is what you are. And most type A entrepreneurs are cut of that cloth. And every day we have to make an effort towards getting better with our families because the reality is we are programmed, coded, hard-coded, hardwired to just go, 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 go right. to produce, especially when you come from lack, like when you haven't had and now you have the opportunity to have and you see all that's and, available. To and you. it's that opportunity that gets me in trouble. Like, I just don't let it, I just don't let it go away. Yeah, like, you don't I just, let it pass. Like, I, I just, like, if there is one, we gotta, yeah. why don't we? Why wouldn't we, right? And and, and over the last 12 months, yeah. like, that's the part where I, I've lost a little bit of an edge on, yeah. right? But, uh, you know, yeah. I need. Good. And part of that is, is, I don't know, at least for me, I can't speak for you, but it's for me, as I gain some wisdom by way of age, I begin the the rough edges begin to smoothen out, and I become a I, I think a a better father, a better husband, a a, a, a better leader sure. just through wisdom and and realizing that hey, it's okay to let some opportunities pass sure. in sure. exchange for experiences that will live a lifetime. And that's where personally, mentally, me mentally wise, I need to continue to yeah. work towards that. My 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 wife and my business partner John, I mean, they do a really they. They do a really good job with that to remind me to have fun. Sure. Right. And then once I am reminded to have fun, boy, I'm, I'm a great time. But this Mike Geltgoff. Man, listen, um, 
you have provided so much information, Mike, and you have provided so much value. I'm curious if anyone wants to connect with you, learn from you, catch up with you, where do they go? Yeah, listen, uh, shoot me uh, an email. Would be, would be, I don't have a brand like uh, much like Bedros uh, does, but I do, uh, shoot me an email. It's a mike.gelfgott uh, uh, at gmail.com, and Gelfgott is spelled G-E-L-F-G-O-T. There it is, Mike Gelfgott. Thank you so much for spending time on The Empire Show. And ladies and gentlemen, thanks for watching and listening to this episode of The Empire Show. If you got a lot of value from this, and I know you did, do me a favor, take a screenshot, share it on social media. Be sure to tag me. And if Mike has a social media account, be sure to tag him as well. And of course, leave us a five-star review, leave us comments. And as always, don't forget to tell your mama. We'll see you later.